Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Hey, Pastor. Well, hey there, Dr. Robin. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I guess I wonder, um, is there anything different about this year? Right. There, there are mornings where I feel like I'm in a perpetual uh, Groundhog Day movie with Bill Murray. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to begin this episode feeling so pessimistic, but I don't know if there's anything new about yeah. the year, other than the fact that we, you know, have to remember to type a different date when we right. fill out our forms. Right. You know, we used to say for. For, for you youngins that listen, you know, we have to remember how to write a different date on our checks, but nobody writes checks anymore. Mm-hmm. So now we just have to remember to key in a different date for, for what year it is when we fill out our forms. Though, let me just say, for those people who don't write checks like myself, I was in a quandary last month with needing to have a check to prove that I owned my account. Oh, how interesting. And um, they needed a voided check. And, you know, I, I don't write checks. I, I use online banking to write checks. Right. And um, I remembered that I had purchased a box of checks, uh, you know, two years ago. And they're in my desk drawer. And so I did have a voided check. But they had, you know, they had recommend. This is the New York Public Library that I was trying to get paid from. And... They said, well, we either need a voided check or a bank letter. Well, <laughs> such an archaic process. Right. So what's, it, what's interesting is Chase Bank here, their phone lines were down because of the bombing that happened in Nashville. Oh, right. So I was unable to get a hold of anyone in Nashville. So I called a Chicago branch and they said to me, we can't give you a bank letter. It's against banking policies because it would expose your bank account number. So I found myself in a real state of not knowing what to do. And, you know, I'm trying to get paid so I can pay January's rent, you know, and lo and behold, I had this box of checks in my desk drawer. So I was able to get paid. They were able to do an electronic transfer, but I, it, it, it brought to mind, you know, in a year of um, glorifying busyness and productivity, which I heard from many students at Duke that professors were um, expecting more productivity as things went online. And I can only imagine what that looked like for people in corporate America and in the nonprofit arena. Mm -hmm. 
But in a year that glorified busyness and productivity while a global health pandemic raged on, um, we, we still have processes that prov- it, it almost prevented me from being paid. Right. And I'm right. just, you know, I guess, you know, we're talking about the new year and moving into new year. And, and I guess, I guess I just feel curious about what kind of year do we want to create given what we've just been through and how do we want things to look? I mean, it's a really, it's a really big question, right? Um, It's interesting that you, you know, talk about processes. I, I am, uh, awaiting my stimulus money from the government. Mm-hmm. Um, but since our last stimulus check, um, I have moved. Oh, and right. I am the government as big and powerful an operation as it claims to be, is incapable of updating my address mm. in order to send me an updated uh, uh, my stimulus money to my current residence, my new residence. Now I have to get a check because uh, my partner and I owed money this past year. Right. And because we didn't receive money, thereby entering our banking account information, we don't get our stimulus on an automatic payment. We have to wait for a check to be mailed. Um, but the federal government is incapable of updating my address. Mm. So I have to hope that the U.S. Postal Service um, accurately forwards that piece of mail to me, which is not a guarantee. Um, right. There are there are many pieces of mail that I have not gotten because they've been either not forwarded at all or inaccurately forwarded or, you know, delivered to my old address and, you know, who knows, I mean, probably thrown in the trash, which, right. you know, it is what it is. So, yeah, processes, it's an interesting thing that that we are up against. Um, one would think we would have improved quite a number of these things uh, while we had so much, um, you know, so much time sitting around. But then, of course, that speaks to this, you know, um, expectation of busyness and productivity in, you know, in a time where our bodies and our brains and our hearts are not operating at a capacity um, that you know, should even expect or anticipate past versions of, of what we, you know, what we once could, could do. Right. Um, I, you know, it's, it's crazy to me. Um, you know, you talk about the stimulus check. Mine was direct deposited. Um, but Aaron is still waiting for hers. And like you, we moved last year in the middle right. of the pandemic. Um, and we tried to log on. Well, I tried to log on because she, she, like, she can't handle any bureaucratic things and I have patience for it. And so when I tried to log on, the, the website said it's down. And so you can't update anything Yeah. when, when we tried. And so I, I, this is another example of these archaic systems that don't encourage, livability. Right. And if we, you and I being, uh, 
you know, having, having privilege in this, you know, in this world where we move and we breathe and we have uh, a roof over our heads and we are, are really lucky to, um, you know, albeit, albeit be a, a part of the, you know, the working poor class, we, you know, we, we have, a, a, a slice of privilege that gives us an added benefit to be able to navigate these kinds right. of things right. when many, many others don't. Right. And, and so I'm, yeah, I'm really mindful of that. Well, well tell me how, tell me how your, your Christmas, your holiday was, because I want to, I want to know how you, um, how you spent your, your downtime. Our, our listeners haven't heard from us in a few weeks. I know that in your household, Christmas is a very, very big mm-hmm. deal. Um, and so I'm excited to hear how your, how your Christmas was. You know, I normally in, in any other year, take the entire month of December off and I, I work for 11 months straight and I, you know, put money aside so that I can have time in December to rest, restore and prepare for the coming year. Last year, as many other things, last December was not normal, and and I was working most of December, and I got to take off um, the starting the Tuesday right before Christmas, and I remember sitting on the couch, and I I turned to Aaron and I just said I'm tired. And so I, I went into the holidays really fatigued um, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. And um, I, you know, I just, I still, I still have a book to finish and um, have two papers to give this week, you know. So, so, so the, the time that I get, the time that I was off was very limited. But it was restorative, um, nonetheless. And you know, Christmas was nice. Um, we opted for very quiet Christmas and New Year's. Um, and you know, we ended up. We you turned us on to the Crown, and so we, you know, we we watched the Crown on Christmas night, and um, while we ate our roasted chicken and our veggies, and. It just, I just needed some quiet and, um, I just needed not to, um, be thinking about all the things that I think about and, and just kind of slow down. And so that's how, that's how our holiday was. What about yours? Um, mine was, mine was also, um, slow and, and quiet. I, I am not, um. I'm not someone who um, enjoys taking a lot of time for myself. Um, I I get very I get bored very quickly. I don't use time away to restore and relax. Um, I like taking time off to go and do fun things because mm-hmm. hello, like seven on the Enneagram mm-hmm. and you know new and different and like stimulate me all day, please. Um, but I for the first time in as many years as I can remember. And I I don't even know if I could 
go back to, I think I would have to go back to before I had what I would consider any kind of a full-time job. Mm -hmm. I uh, put my laptop away on Christmas Eve morning and I didn't pick it back up again for anything work-related until January 3rd. And I, I still don't quite know. I, I still don't quite know what that did for me. Like, I don't know how it, I don't know how it, um, how it affected me from a, um, restoration standpoint, mm-hmm. um, because that isn't a, isn't a common, um, desire or practice for me, but I can tell you that what it, what it allowed me to do was do a lot of reflecting and thinking and writing, um, and research on things that I have been feeling or desiring to learn about that I just simply haven't had the capacity to to do, um, you know, when times are are normally as busy. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was able to to do some, you know, self reflective writing. I was able to do some research around. Um, I mean, I'm doing even more research and digging in even more around the Enneagram and around my um, my birthday and and you know when I was born and the and the phases of the moon and mm-hmm. um, I mean all all of the things and so I was able to to do that uh, which brought me a lot of joy mm-hmm. was it you know it really it really helped me um, uh, you know just focus focus still because that that is something I need I need to be um, I, I like to be focusing on on things, right. projects or readings or what have you. But I was able to focus on something that I had been desiring for a while, and and that was that was great. My my partner um, is a is an emergency uh, veterinarian and was uh, working much of the holidays, uh, much of the actual dated holidays, so Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, and so. Uh, things were very slow for me uh, in many ways. I was, uh, I, I got to, you know, I got to watch a couple of uh, my favorite Christmas movies that um, he isn't always as fond of because I was by myself. Right. <laughs> and so, right. so me and Ruthie Bader, we, uh, we sat and watched some movies and, um, you know, drank some good bourbon and, um, but yeah, it was a, it was also for me a very slow time Um uh, and a time for me to to take on some um, some things that I I had not had time to do in the past. And I I just I, I don't I may have heard it, but I I don't know if I heard it. Did you find that restorative or no? Okay, I don't know if I found it restorative or not. I know that I found it relaxing. I know that I found it joy giving. Um, but I don't know if I found it restorative. I, I think I'm still personally trying to dig into what that really means to me in mm-hmm. general. Yeah, you know, I I think that um, last year was exhausting for probably everyone in a variety of ways, and and I and I I find myself being really curious about. How do we tend to that exhaustion 
in a way that restores us and that actually creates a culture of care instead of a culture that just bypasses the the harm of the exhaustion and the messiness right. of the exhaustion from last year. Um, right. So I, I, I decided um, that I was going to choose a word for the year. Yes, I remember you saying that. I don't really have intention. I mean, I, I have intentions for the year, but I don't really like set um, goals for the year because I'm not goal oriented in, in the same way as our culture. Um, right. But I decided to um, choose a word for the year. And so I looked at a whole bunch of words and the word that resonated with me was cultivate. And so I'm trying to frame this year through through that lens to see if, well, just to see what happens. And yeah, and how have, do you envision? Like, what do you envision? Uh, how do you how do you see that moving and and breathing through your being over the course of the year? Like, do you envision it? informing all of the aspects of your work? Do you envision it informing um, your public work? What's like, what is it? How are you, how, how are you kind of setting it as an intention for um, your day to day? Well, I first think about um, myself and how do I cultivate within myself? So things like presence and awareness and intention, just, with my own self and, and let that guide how I move in the world. I, I also find that my forties are a decade of winnowing. And so I really find, um, this year being a year where I am going to personally invest in relationships of substance versus, relationships that don't provide any substance. And so I think that's also part of cultivating, um, trying to cultivate um, both an awareness and an orientation to relationships that create create conditions for the kind of livability that I think I'm interested in. And so that that's kind of how I see it playing out. I love that. I am... Um... I, the word that I chose was um, intentionality, actually. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, as someone who is very spastic and sporadic in a lot of my being and a lot of my doing, and, and I am, I am, you know, I, I love to experiment. I love to search for what's new. I love to um, kind of engage in ways that um, allow me to experience multiple things at the same time or just a newness of, of things. Um, I, I am finding that I want, um, I want to frame some intentionality around my action and my work for, for 2021. And, and not that that will, not that that will result in a, a differing of my character or a, you know, a reframing of my being, but that I will kind of notice the intentionality with which I am 
doing things or the intentionality with which I am scheduling myself, mm-hmm. the, the ways that I am, you know, very much conscientious of what I choose to say yes to and what I don't. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, for me, my, my word is intentionality. Uh, friends, if you have done the same kind of practice that Robin and I have, we'd love to hear what your words are. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like tweet us at Activist Theology. Let us know what it is that you all are, are looking at for this year. Um, I think, you know, both of us, um, I, I know for me, I mean, I, I, you know, shed the process of, you know, resolutions many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um after a few failed diet attempts and <laughs> knowing that my my best desires for resolution, meaning being resolute in something, absolute in something, were just simply not in my nature. Yeah. I mean, that is just, it's not a part of my, <laughs> it's not a part of my being. So it's very hard for me to be, um, you know, to stick to a resolution. But um, we'd love to hear what your words are. Um We've had a really, really interesting few weeks as it relates to um, the kind of the tone and temper of this country. Um, You know, while we were gone, many of you who are listening, I know we have many listeners in Nashville. Robin, you live in Nashville. Mm -hmm. um, Experience the Christmas Day bombing that that took place. In, in Nashville, I think, you know, we learned a great deal about or relearned a great deal about um, our our country and our attitude from the, the response to that bombing, you know, as it related to coming from, a, you know, a middle-aged or older middle-aged white man who, who was the, the culprit and our incapacity to name him as a domestic terrorist in, in many circles. Um, how, how were you, how were you feeling um, around the, the terrorist act in Nashville? Well, you, you had texted me at seven in the morning and said that you were watching the news about the bombing. And so that was the first that I had heard, but Aaron actually heard the explosion at, at six 30. Um, I did uh. not, I was, I was still sleeping and, you know, I, I, there, there are multiple truths to the story. One is that, um, the man, Anthony, I think is his name. Anthony yes. was mentally ill, um, paranoid about 5g service that caused the virus that's one report that I've heard. And he built a bomb that blew up an entire block. And, you know, if the man or woman, if the person who committed this bomb was brown and Muslim, we would be very quick to call it terrorism. And... It seems that um, there's a harder time doing that with with this person, right? Um, and I and I sit with the fact that 
he was living with varying experiences of mental health. I also sit with the fact that police, Metro Nashville police, did not respond to reports from neighbors that he was building a bomb. Yeah, and his girlfriend. Right. A a woman who, you know, also was suffering um, from some effects from mental, from from her mental health, but they negated her, uh, her warnings and, and, and wrote them off as her own paranoia speaking into the, into the void. Right. And so it's, this is a very complex situation, you know, is it domestic terrorism? I, Probably, but it's also a host of other things too. And um, I think that I, you know, I, I find myself um, saddened that um, at this the, um, situation and, and people have been displaced uh, from their right. homes. And so that's sad. Um, my phone service was out. Right. Ours was too. <laughs> I, I got to say, in, in a really weird way, that afternoon of Christmas, not being able to receive phone calls was a little peaceful. Like normally my phone is like bombarded by people wanting to send well wishes yeah. and call and, and ask how I am. And, you know, I mean, in, in lovely ways, but people that don't, from my vantage point, necessarily give a crap about me any other day of the year. Right. But are, you know, bound and determined to hear my voice on Christmas Day. Right. It, it doesn't little, make sense. It doesn't little, make sense. It doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't make sense to me either. Um, you know, I spoke to the people that, um, you know, that, that mattered. Thankfully, I'm, I mean, I am, I am someone that has um, an iPhone, so I was able to FaceTime through my Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. um, but many in, because I'm in Chattanooga, but many in Nashville lost their, you know, their ability mm-hmm. to have Wi-Fi service too. And so, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a bizarre time. And, yeah. you know, regardless of how you feel about the commercialization and the ways in which, um, you know, capitalism has overtaken downtown Nashville, which is ha- which it has yeah. in many icky and disgusting ways. You know, there were a whole lot of people who lost their livelihoods and yeah. lost their businesses. And more than the people who owned those businesses were the people that worked for them and, mm-hmm. and have, you know, um, in the midst of a, a pandemic where our capacity to um, earn a living wage has been limited. Um, I, I just, I continued to feel so heartbroken for those that were displaced from their homes and for those um, non-business owner employees who mm-hmm. knew that the, you know, the landscape of their lives was changing yeah. on Christmas day because of the results of the bombing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was really a really, a really frustrating thing. And I think, um, you know, for, for many of us, now that we are into the new year, um, there's very little talk of, of kind of what happened on Christmas day and how that, uh, you know, the, the long-term effects of it and, and our nation. And I think, you know, to your, to your point, Robin, part of that is because, um, this man was not Brown and was not Muslim and, um, and at the same time, you know, whiteness is pervasive as it relates to crime and harm. And we as a culture 
don't want to talk about that because uh, we are in many cases also white. Um, and it's, you know, it's really easy for us to, to look past it. Oh yeah. Um, so I know that Lord y'all, we, we've been talking about politics. It's a, it's a new year. It's a new season of the activist theology podcast, but, uh, there's still one election left. I mean, we, are, we are still <laughs> in election season. It's so crazy. I know, right? It's crazy. It's nauseating. It's, I mean, I am, I am, you know, I am on the border of the state of Georgia. Therefore, I am getting a hundred percent of the television and radio uh, and yeah. internet ads for this uh, senatorial runoff. Uh, for both seats in the Senate for Georgia. Um, uh, we are actually recording this episode of the podcast on Tuesday, January the 5th. The election is happening today. Thank the Lord. At nine or 10 o'clock tonight, all of those commercials will be ancient history and I won't have to, <laughs> me and my household won't have to watch um you know, Kelly, racist Kelly Leffler and lying David Perdue on the television, you know, telling us how, um, how socialist John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock are. Yeah, I, well, God, it's exhausting. I, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me why they privilege, like, why Democrat equals socialism. It, it's right. It, it's so crazy to me. Um, and yet it's a, it's a, it's a tool that is used to divide and further polarize our country. And, and if anything, that, that is what, that is what we're sitting with. The, the, not only the civil unrest, but the massive polarization that this Senate runoff has created and accelerated. And, I mean, I will be so glad when I stop receiving emails. I've never been so popular with candidates before. Right. I, mean, I receive probably two emails or three emails an hour from, yeah. from from those campaigns. And I, you know, I, I'm much more interested in a different political system, a different political future than what our current system affords us. Um but it would be nice for the Senate to be a Democrat majority with a Democrat president, because maybe they could get some things done. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, our political system, regardless of what happens today um, with the Senate runoff and regardless of hap what happens tomorrow with the certification of the elections in um, the, the house and the Senate, uh, you know, which is a completely other topic and, you know, uh, I mean, a different shit show altogether. Um, it, you know, we are, we, there's nothing about what happens today that will save or in any way, um, you know, help us move this country forward, even if both Ossoff and, and Warnock are successful in, in winning these elections. And our Senate goes to, uh, you know, a tie with Kamala Harris being able to break any, any, you know, gridlocks. We are still as broken and as polarized as we have ever been. And I don't say that anecdotally. I, I really do believe that 
there is a brokenness and a, a separation in the hearts and minds of the large majority of us in the United States, you know, when it comes to what we, what we believe and, and what we, and where we place our efforts as, as it relates to, to, to political action. Um, but I'm, you know, I, I think what's been intriguing for me to watch and, and, and has reiterated that brokenness for me is, you know, both Warnock and Ossoff are um, parts of communities that are disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. Um, Ossoff, you know, being a man of Jewish heritage and, you know, very proudly, um, you know, being being Jewish in, in his work and his day to day. Warnock, you know, being a, a black man who serves a progressive faith. Um, I put a little asterisk beside progressive faith because, um, you know, those that's a that's a we could talk about that as a mm-hmm. misnomer in in a lot of ways, but still, you know, we are seeing the religiosity um, and the cultural um, fear that white evangelicals have um, come into and permeate this election in really ugly ways. And it's been really obvious from a lot of the advertising. It's been obvious from a lot of the talking points that are being used by the Republican candidates during their town halls and their public um, engagements. But, you know, this, this thread that we have woven, this tapestry of um, politics and religion and racism and white supremacy that, I mean, this, this tapestry that is so interwoven and so interconnected and, and really difficult to tear and, and unweave and break apart and disentangle is, has been on full display over the last six to eight weeks during this, this Georgia runoff. And it's, it's once again solidified for me, not just the brokenness of, of our system, but also the, the entanglement of, um, really, really ugly, um, isms as it relates to who we are as a people and how we are supposed to be as a community. Well, and, you know, when I look at this as a queer person and as a trans person and as a Mexican American, I look at, the ways in which the normative construction of things like religion, race, and politics, and the imbrication of those um, has accelerated um, a particular um, practice of uh, religious values that, yes. that are actually very harmful and, and that are institutionalized by things like supremacy culture. And, you know, this is why I feel very concerned about, for example, not having a lot of Muslim people or people of other religious practices in our Senate and Congress, because the moral framework of this country is overwhelmingly Western Christianity and right and. A particular brand of Western Christianity, and so 
you know, I, I still, I mean, yes, Warnoff and Asif, Asif are from marginalized communities, and also they play yes. into the normative scripts of yes. their religious institutions, and and that. And I'm, I'm not saying there's not value in the black church. There is very much value in the black church, but there's a lot of people who, who will say that the black church is also informed by supremacy culture. Right. We are all conscripted into that. And if we, if we don't have both awareness and intention to resist and actually create culture and practice that that doesn't reflect supremacy culture, then then we will continue to vote in people like this. I mean, I look at someone like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, and what a breath of fresh air she is in terms of political future. And I, you know, I would like to see more people from from different communities who 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 don't play the religion card but actually are playing the card of equity equity and livability for our future oh that we might yeah it's you know it's um it is you know it's even it's difficult um it's difficult to even kind of mentally embrace um, concepts as as the one that you that you've described um, harder I think for um, someone and, our, and listeners like me who are uh, who you know don't have a, a queer ethic not not queer as in um, from a you know a, a sexual or 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 identity standpoint but from a just queerness as different a differential to you know understanding the world. I, I'm I am it you know it, it's a struggle and and it is a constant practice of um, remembering and reminding ourselves you know from whence we come and and how we are to to um, you know disentangle ourselves from the mess. Um, it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard for, it's, I think it's difficult. I think it's challenging for anyone. It's especially hard for, um, um, based on, based on orientation. Well, I, I mean, I, I want to respond to that because please, I, you know, I think that, um, there, you know, and I know that we were texting a little bit about this the other day, but you know, there, there, I have the same issue with a lot of LGBT people who are very much oriented toward cis white gayness or cis white lesbianness mm. that accelerates harm against mm. people who are oriented in in a very different way. And, you know, LGBT um, practices and politics accelerate a culture of whiteness and queer politics and queer justice 
is is not just in opposition to that it's a completely different orientation and framework to politics and so i think that th- there there is there is so much more to be discovered in our communities with those who are in active resistance to the normalizing policies and politics of things that stem from whiteness. And Mm. what concerns me about our current political system is that it has no room for difference. And what I mean by that is difference philosophically is that which is without a norm. And what what we have in our current political system have are institutionalized norms and so when 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 i talk about orientation i am talking about um a way of understanding norms and values that are not part of our current cultural american imagination that that perpetuates our political system. Um, and, you know, things like marriage equality and other things like that are, are part of accelerating a kind of toxic whiteness, I think, and toxic policies that undermine queer people, especially queer youth. And so there's, and I'm not alone in that analysis. There, there are a lot of people who are working um, toward a different political future that I would love to to have their voices um, be part of the mix. But I, you know, I I worry about our political future, and I worry sure. about um, our current system, and I worry about what what is called social justice and Mm -hmm. what we think about as justice work, because in many respects, I find social justice, another industrial complex that accelerates oppositional politics. Right. And that, and that doesn't actually invest in a political future of difference. Um, So I, you know, I, I, I don't know if this year will be any different. I don't know who will win the election in Georgia, but I know that if we don't invest in things like intention and and different practices, I don't think we'll achieve the kind of political future that will steward a better world. Hmm. I love that. Thank you for Thank you for kind of stretching that out and responding to that. I wonder if you could expand a little bit more on this understanding of orientation and how uh, you see those specifically conscripted to whiteness, those who come from a place of, um, you know, having very little other kind of cultural um, informing. Um, how does that, how does that orientation expand? How does that, how, how does one go about 
kind of setting themselves in a space where, um, where that, that expansion and that understanding and that enlightenment can happen. Well, I, you know, I, th- this all sort of um, goes back to how we understand the self and the subject, uh, which is a very long discussion that we don't have time for right, right. now. <laughs> right. But, but it is, it is, it is whether or not we see the self as a stable subject or not. And there's a whole philosophy and psychoanalytic theory to to accompany that conversation. But I think also what is part of this are things like our orientation to work, which comes from um, the narrative of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Right. And, and that narrative that has shaped all of us creates an orientation to things like work, pleasure, desire. And, and, and as someone who is oriented in queer ways to things like spaciousness, slow pace, um, not glorifying busyness or productivity, I think that as a culture, we have to we have to reckon with the fact that that story of pull yourself up by your bootstraps accelerates hyper individualism and whiteness, and is harmful. Yes, I, you know it's a and it and and as you said, it's something that every single one of us has been. Um, conscripted into. Um, no matter where we've come from, we've been told that work ethic and productivity equal um, value, um, self-value mm-hmm. um, and, and, and our, and our place in our place in the world. Um, Which we see in Protestantism. I mean, this is, I mean, it comes from Protestantism, that, that narrative. And so, you know, this is why I think that we should interrogate all of the categories that we've inherited um, as we attempt to even think about creating a better world. I, I just don't know if the categories that we've inherited can create conditions for the kind of world we are imagining. Right. Well, we have a new opportunity. Um, we don't know if anything that uh, came that has come from the last several days now that we are in 2021 will uh, create circumstances by which we free one another, by which we free ourselves. Um, we can use our, our words of cultivate and our words of intentionality to you know, help us be more mindful and to continue to reinforce to us and to others how we intend and want to be in 2021. Um, But we're back with another season of the Activist Theology Podcast and 2021 is yet to be determined. And uh, we're, you know, Neither one of us know whether things will change yeah. or things will yeah. look any differently than they did before. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, hopefully, hopefully. And, and with, with um, the strength of our intentions, mm-hmm. uh, they will, they will, even if that dial moves very slowly. Um, hopefully we will see 
a shift um, for all of us, for, yeah. especially for those who are in need of liberation. Well, until next week. Until next week, let's get free. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how you live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support this podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by our friends Delta Ray. Our sound editor and engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. Oh,